When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to Barca Talk. Brian Henderson here, and with me as always, our master of hot takes, Gabriel Quiroga. Brian, Brian, my Barca brother from a different mother and fellow Kool-Aids, welcome to episode 56. As I am in the middle of a construction mini-zone in my apartment, currently painting the family room slash podcast office, Brian. So that's what's going on in my life right now. Yeah, well, you warned me ahead of time that maybe it wouldn't sound so good because there's like nothing in the room that you're recording in. But I got to say, it it generally sounds about as good as usual. It doesn't sound too bad. It doesn't sound too bad. Well, right now, currently, uh, I've been painting the whole week. You know, like I told you, I had off the past couple days. And so I started painting on Wednesday, I think, or Thursday. No, Thursday. So Thursday, Friday. Took a break today. I'm going to finish tomorrow. So hopefully... It'll be all done by tomorrow, so looking forward to that, having a nicely fresh painted family room slash podcast office. So it looks like you're not going with the blue and red uh, FC Barcelona-themed paint job in the apartment? Not quite. You know, I, I kind of, I, I would, maybe in my, in, my, in my bedroom, I think that'd be more appropriate. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where the magic happens. That's where, that, not only is where the magic happens, but, you know, that's where my major fandom is, you know? That's, and I, like I said, mm. remember we talked about in a previous episode how I can get a fat head? So maybe I'll get a couple fat heads in my bedroom, just make it like a, like a 14-year-old boy's uh, bedroom, you know? <laughs> yeah, you get, you get all your favorite players. You get Polly, you get Andre Gomez... Yeah, maybe even Deco too. You can put Deco because I didn't like Deco very much. Oh yeah. So there you go. It's like my <laughs> fat head wall of shame, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Vermalen. Because oh, no, I don't Vermalen, know how much you, you love Vermalen. Yeah. Are you actually? I think I'm a little bit more anti-Vermalen than you are. Yeah, I'm kind of whatever, you know. So, how are you doing? What's going on in Buffalo? Oh well, in Buffalo, here's what's happening. We got our first real day of snow yesterday, but it was like the perfect snow day. It snowed for a few hours in the morning. It was two to three inches, totally manageable. And then the rest of the day was not snowy, and then it even cleared up, and it was sunny in the evening and afternoon. So you get the uh, the beauty of the winter snow, and you know all the snow on the trees, and it's very very beautiful. But um, once it's all shoveled and plowed, you can more or less live your life like normal. So that's good. And then uh, yesterday, we're recording this part of the show on Saturday, and um, so yesterday on Friday, uh, a piece of music that I have been working on all semester long finally got its um, premiere performance. I was very happy with how it went. So that's like that's what's going on in in my other life as a PhD student, composer, artist, person. And I was really happy with the results there. So actually, things are going very, very well right now. Well, that's good to hear. And the semester just ended. Oh, boom. That's even better. That's even better. You know, now you have a little bit of a break. So now you can kind of, you know, recharge your batteries and get ready for the next semester, Brian. Yeah, and, and just start working on 
more music, writing more music. That's that's the whole key. And I can really focus on this podcast now because, you know, I've really been phoning it in these last few weeks. <laughs> that I mean, that usually happens towards the end, right? Towards the end of the semester, you just kind of mail it in and, and get there. So, uh, yeah. So we have a lot to talk about today. We have – whoo. We have, I don't know if I have that many hot takes, but I may have some. Fun. Yeah, we got woos. Yeah. We got hot takes. We got hella hot takes. Yeah, hella hot takes. <laughs> so we'll see. So, um, so what do we Oh, mean? actually, you know what? Before we get into that, I just want to say we just saw a movie last night. It's this new kind of artsy movie called Lady Bird, and it's set in Sacramento. And there's this one moment, it's like a coming of age story, high school kids. And there's this one scene where this this kid, he's like a senior in high school. He says, that's hella tight. And, and Megan and I were here in a movie theater in Buffalo. We both just cracked up because that is so NorCal. Correct. That's hella that tight. so NorCal. I love that. I'd, it's so funny because I don't know if I ever told you this, but I had a, a Dutch friend. And one time I was talking to her and she was like, oh, my God, that's hella cool. And I turned to her. I was like, how do you know hella? And she was like, HBO. And I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to get it. Yeah, I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, when I moved to the Bay Area from Southern California, I had like no idea just how pervasive Hello was. Yeah, it's it's very pervasive, very pervasive. Anyway, today on the show, we've got a discussion about the Ballon d'Or. We have recovery updates on Dembele and Rafinha. And a special feature this week, Countdown to El Clasico. We're going to be revisiting the 6-2 win at the Bernabeu from 2009. And, of course, we're going to be talking about Barca B and Femini. Match reviews of the sleeper win in the Champions League over Sporting and the Villarreal match in La Liga. And, of course, we've got the uh, scouting report for next week ahead of the match with Deportivo in La Liga. So first up on the docket today, we've got more recovery news updates. Uh, both Dembele and Rafinha were in training with the rest of the squad last week. Um, you know, every week there's at least one video on the Barca website from a training session. And it's pretty much the same thing, same idea at least every time you see the players come out. They come onto the pitch, they do some rondo, they do some warm-up drills, there's some laughter, and that's pretty much it. And, and like, if you watch them every week, like I do, like an idiot, the, like, they get pretty boring. But this one was really cool because Dembele and Rafinha were in the rondo, finally. And we see them getting back into into action. So it was actually really nice this time. Yeah, I like that. You know, it's finally they're in the rondo. But I know what you're talking about, about the training videos, because that's all they're allowed to show or that's all they allowed to go to the public. And they show the same video here on the sports show. So it's like I get a double dose of it all the time. So, it's yeah, it's exactly the same thing. They come out. They have a couple laughs. Hee hee ha ha ha. You know, like we're all friends here, you know. (laughs) And then they do the rondo and then that's it. That's all you got. And that's from every team here, you know, in Spain, for example. They do the same in Atletico Madrid, the same for Real Madrid. It's the same. It's, you know, it barely changes. But really great news to see Dembele and Rafinha back in. Uh, They were really, you know, obviously really excited to get them back. And obviously the team, you can feel hopefully is going to be energized by these two guys coming back and giving them a little bit more depth coming up. Yeah. So I'm very excited by it. And I mean, I understand that like they don't want to show any more from the training session because, you know, you know, you can't give too much away about your training sessions and how they work. Cause especially once they really get into the, 
the meat of the training session. They're going to start talking about, you know, how they're going to set up for the next match. You don't want to give that away, obviously. But it is also a nice thing that probably a lot of fans enjoy watching. I mean, I watch it every week, and it's almost like I get tricked every week. You know, it's like, ooh, maybe this will be something different, something cool. I check it out. No, it's always the same. But I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just like a total sucker for those things. I mean, for me, the best thing that I like watching is a Rondo because how good are they at keep away? You know what I'm saying? And it's just ridiculous. And not like, for example, not only are the players really good at it, but the goalkeepers are really good at it. I just like watching it for about a minute or so. But again, on the sports shows, they always show the same video reel and it's pretty funny. They show actually they showed this. They showed the the training and they show all the players driving up to the complex. Because they just, you know, there's only one road into the stadium or the practice facilities. And this is for Atletico Madrid, Real Madrid, and Barcelona. So they'll just, they'll do the same reel. They'll be like, today, uh, they're coming into practice and they drive up and then they do the Ronda and then they just go on to the next team, you know? It's like the same thing every day, Groundhog Day here. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a little thing. Some good news. We're looking forward to seeing those those two guys back in action. And Rafinha back in action after a long time and he'll uh, hopefully be playing for Valverde for the first time fairly soon we're we're hoping for after the new year but I think the the uh, the larger topic news item for this week was the Ballon d'Or you know and we I personally really hate these voted on awards we've talked about this before but anyway it's worth mentioning. So Cristiano Ronaldo won the Ballon d'Or for the fifth time this past week. Uh, Messi came in second, finishing out the top three was Neymar. And Luis Suarez came in 13th in the voting. And I was asked by one listener, uh, Carlos, on Instagram about this, uh, about how we as a show or you know how we feel about Ronaldo winning this despite Messi's better performance and goals and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, Ronaldo got titles, whatever. My basic response is that if a Barca player wins the Ballon d'Or or FIFA's the best, like Lika Martins did recently, we're happy about it and we're happy for the player. But I still contend that any individual award, especially one that people vote on, is not very meaningful. It's just it's marketing for the game, which has its benefits. But the only thing that the Ballon d'Or is really good for is to get this exact conversation that we're having going to get people arguing over who should win it. And like Messi said in an interview last week, that it was nice to win individual awards, but that since winning those, he can become more focused on team achievements like La Liga, Champions League, because that's what really matters. Um, Yes and no. I mean, I kind of, I do like the Ballon d'Or because I think it just has more weight to it. And I know it's an individual war and it really doesn't have any weight on it. But at the same time, like, if you look out through history, like, that's how you measured quote-unquote, the best player. It's kind of like, you know, the world MVP thing. However, there are many flawed points to this, as, as you, you know, gives the debate of who's better, Messi and Ronaldo and all that stuff. But at the same time, since it it's the calendar year and not the season, this is where all goes awry. Because if you look at the stats, obviously Messi has more goals, more assists in the calendar year. But the journalist, again, they're from all over the world, they have their own criteria. The criteria is not disclosed, right? So it's just like personal opinion, marketing, all this type of thing, you know? Um, so for me, it's like, yeah, if you look at just purely at the stats, Messi had a better year. But again, this is kind of almost like a popularity contest slash marketing campaigns, you know? And if, you, and honest, if you're just a fan of Ronaldo, you're just going to vote for Ronaldo. I mean, that's just how it is. Like I was watching a, a show here in Madrid that they play at night that's a very popular sports show. 
And it's super annoying because I can only watch it for about 10 minutes because they have basically six journalists supporting Real Madrid and like five or six supporting Barcelona. And of course, they just have this heated discussion. So you have to like watch the beginning because you can't like there's there's so much arguing and yelling that you can't hear anybody, you know. And this one guy said, I voted for Ronaldo because I'd like Ronaldo. And the other guy's like, but how did you come up with the criteria? And he's like, I just like Ronaldo. I just like the way he looks. I'm a Real Madrid fan, and that's it. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is how <laughs> the voting goes, you know? And, yeah, like I – Yeah, it's simple, yeah, easy. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and on Twitter, people were just saying to me, like, you know, this doesn't mean anything. It's just individual war. And I, and I get that. But at the same time, it's like – like we talked about in the last episode. It's like anytime there's any kind of debate with Ronaldo and Messi, I just want Messi to have more of whatever there is available – more the best, more Ballon d'Or, more Champions Leagues, more La Liga. So then, of course, there's really no debate, right? I just want Messi to always be the best because for me, every time I watch Messi, he's the better passer. He's the better player. He's the better teammate. And it's clear as day, clear as day. I mean, that's what I don't understand. Yeah, Ronaldo's a goal-scoring machine, but as you've seen so far in La Liga, he hasn't done anything. He hasn't done anything so far. No, he has not had a good year this year in La Liga. Exactly, because he's not a great passer, you know, and he's not really looking to make the play. All he's looking is to score the goal, and that's fine, but that's just not my style, and that's why I love Messi. Messi, for me, is just an all-around, like, who do you want to play football with, Messi or Ronaldo? Like, that's kind of like the basic question you just kind of have to ask yourself. Like, I would much rather play with Messi, give and go. I think it would be more fun playing, whereas Ronaldo... Anytime you ever see Ronaldo yelling at his teammates, like that's just not someone I want to play with, you know, on the on the most basic, childish level, you know. And again, uh, uh, you know, just seeing Ronaldo in the Eiffel Tower, just ugh, it just makes my skin crawl. Like I just can't stand this guy at all. Like, and and hearing all the madridistas and my students, you know, like the other, I know as soon as I go back to school, like the kids are gonna be flashing fives at me. You know, it's just. I don't need this, Brian. I don't need this. <laughs> I don't need this. <laughs> what is this? Now, okay, here's something I saw about this. And I did he really say this? Did Ronaldo actually say that he is the best player in history? Yes, he did. I, mean, I saw this thing. It was apparently it was an interview with France football. Yeah, it, it's true. It's totally true. He He said it, you know, and he's – again, I understand. This is what makes him – such a great player, his arrogance, his drive and all this stuff. But at the same time, like, you know, by the end of this, Ronaldo's going to have way more goals than than Ronaldo just because of the age difference. And I'm super glad because, I, you know, I just don't want to have any type of this debate, you know. Like we always talk about, Brian, it's like I get it. It's like art. It's like who you like, Ronaldo or Messi. But at the same time, to say – that Ronaldo's in the same class as Messi, that's just that's that's just no way. I mean, you have to be, you know, Maradona, Pele, you know, Messi. These are the type of players that inspire you that, like, I, you know, I was thinking about this. Can you tell me, Brian, the last time Ronaldo made a super impact in the Classico? No. Exactly. See, see how long I that took I have a horrible memory for these things, but I, I don't think it was very recent. It's not. I mean, I know he's... He scored a goal in Classicos, right? Obviously with penalty kicks and different things. But can you tell me a moment that Ronaldo has had in the Classico where you're just like, yes, that was, that was the moment for Ronaldo? 
I mean, I just can't think of any. No, I can't. But I'm probably not the right guy to ask. But but still, but that's what I'm trying to get at, right? I mean, if you just being a Barcelona, I can think of three messy moments in the Classico for me that are just moments, you know, like his first hat trick. We talked about last week the two goals in the Champions League, mm-hmm. and last year in the Classico when he made the the ninety minute run. I mean, Ronaldo for me, yeah, great goal scorer, great header, great all this stuff, right on a great team. You know, a magnificent, you know, whatever. Good-looking guy. Gets all these ladies, right? And all this stuff. But for me, Messi is just the best. The best. I mean, and that's... I know that's my blind perspective being a Barca fan. But at the same time, like, I love football. And Messi's the one that inspires me to watch football. The end. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Like, in preparation for this... Here's some behind-the-scenes stuff. In preparation for this, I, I went and did some research uh, to, like, comparing their um their careers not just this year but their careers because if we want to really put the statement that ronaldo made that he's the best player in history to the test like you got to look at their whole careers right so i did this whole kind of workup. i made this big list of of comparative statistics mostly with titles and things and then your response was just this one website that essentially does that for us <laughs> and i felt like oh man i didn't even have to do all that i just needed to know about this one website messy versus Messi vs Ronaldo.net. And you could find like all the comparative stats you want of these two guys. But if you look at their careers, they are very tight on a lot of things. But Messi ultimately comes out on top. Like they're tied on Champions League titles. But Messi has like far more league championships than Ronaldo. Uh, we, we could go down the whole list. But the the funniest thing for me, of course, is that I did all this work myself. And then it turns out someone else had already done it. And there's a website for it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I only found this today, Brian. So don't, you know, like I was kind of just looking for something to, to get. Okay. Some more. So you weren't holding out on, me. I was not holding out on you. I was just looking for something with more evidence, you know, just to kind of, cause I'm like, dude, this cannot just be like, you know, am I this blind to like have Messi, you know, be my favorite player. I know that. And, you know, am I this blind to this perspective? I'm like, no, it's, you know, Messi, And also Messi still has like, four more great years in him that he's going to supersede Ronaldo and it's going to leave him in the dust because you know Ronaldo is not going to be at the same clip as, as, as he has been in the last couple of years. But again, Brian, I mean, for me, the two most important things are La Liga and Champions League. And right now they're tied. But again, Ronaldo last year didn't really do anything in the campaign. Yeah, he scored in the final, in the semifinal, but leading up to it in the La Liga and everything, he didn't have that great of a year. I mean, yeah, he won La Liga and Champions League with Real Madrid. And that's where we get into the debate of the Ballon d'Or, where they, you know, a lot of journalists are using his team accomplishments to help him boost above the individual accomplishments. And that's where, again, just like in the NBA with the MVP debate that they have last year, no one has a specific criteria. And that's all they need to do is just say, let's just have a specific criteria of just statistics, then I'm down with that. But if it's just opinion, then, of course, you're always going to have these open-ended debates about how journalists view it, where they have their, um, you know, their, their loyalties, especially. And, you know, it goes on and on. So I guess yeah. congratulations to Ronaldo. Just kidding. I don't care. I, I'm not congratulating him. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, congratulations for being a douchebag. <laughs> now in other news, <laughs> He's one of the I, I'll give him that. I'll give him best douchebag of all time. Okay, yeah. So and he's the four time winner of that, so 
Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's leave that behind and move forward. And So we're looking ahead to the Champions League draw for the round of 16. Uh, that's going to be on Monday. And our potential opponents for the round of 16 are Basel, Bayern Munich, Chelsea, Porto, or Shakhtar. And we did get a question from uh, Luke about this, our listener Luke on Instagram about this. Who would our preferred opponent in the round of 16 be? So here's my take on it real quick. I want to say, I want to say Bayern, actually. They're another top-ranked team, so in a way it would be good to knock them out early if we can. Um, Of course, you know, we don't know what will happen with injuries and such by February when the matches are going to happen, but... There's a good chance that Dembele and Rafinha will be back. Umtiti will be back. So we should have a pretty strong squad at that time. And I think that the tactical developments that Valverde has made have pretty much sunken in already. So I don't think there's a whole lot of development to take place there. So, um, you know, I want to say, like, bring them on. Bring on Bayern. Why not? I totally agree. I mean, when you get to this round of 16, obviously, I would love to have Basel. Like, why not, right? Just make it easier to the road, right? But at the same time, as just a pure football fan, this is why I love the Champions League. I want to play the best of the best, you know? And I know that we have, there's an opportunity that we could lose and fail in the champion. I know that. But again, I want to play the best. And for me, it's like, I ha- in my gut, I think we're going to be playing Chelsea or Bayern. Like, that's just in my gut. But obviously, it would be great to play Porto. Like, short distance, you know, a tough team, but again, not the not the big boys, you know. But again, in this round of 16, this is now this is the the grit of the competition. You know, there's no more, you know, B team type of performance against sporting. This is like you're going to bring your best lineup and your best tactics. And this is where, you know, Val Green is going to make his money to see how good he can really coach because, you know, with Athletic Bilbao, they were always in the Europe um, Europa League. They were never in the Champions League this far. So we're going to really see how Val Green adjusts, and especially, like you said, Dembele coming back and Rafinha. That's just going to give us more, um, more bullets in the chamber for our lineup. So, again, I feel the same way. Bring on Bayern, bring on Chelsea. But Basel, Basel, not bad for me either, you know? You're right. <laughs> You know, whatever. But also, I mean, it, when you when you think about the timing and the schedule, you know, in February they're still going to be, uh, they'll be back from the winter break, but they'll still be like relatively rested. So that might, strategically speaking, be actually a pretty good time to take on a tougher opponent because once you get into the quarters and the semis, now you're getting deep towards the end. You got you know fatigue is starting to set in on everyone. But uh, you know, if you can knock out a Bayern or a Chelsea in the round of 16 that could potentially make those later rounds a little bit easier. Exactly. And the other thing too, is, you know, here in Europe, especially February is still going to be pretty cold. So if we're talking Chelsea going over there or going to um, Munich, it's still going to be cold cities, potentially snow. So those are other things we have to look at. Obviously, like I said, Porto, I think would be a really nice, uh, a nice group or nice matchup for us because distance uh, climate, you know, it's a step up from Sporting Lisbon, but it's not too difficult, so we can kind of ramp up the team. Again, I, if they gave us FC Basel, I won't complain. But at the same time, as a foot, as just a pure football fan, you know, this is why I love champions. I want to see Chelsea and I want to see Bayern because this is where, you know, this is this is the competition of the best of the best. You know, it's not obviously, you know. It's a lot easier if we go through Basel. But again, like I said, bring on Chelsea, bring on Bayern. 
Yeah, bring them on. Okay, so now here's our special feature segment for the week. And uh, as you may know, El Clasico is nearing. We're only two weeks away now from the first Clasico since the sad losses we suffered to Real Madrid in the Spanish Super Cup. And we are counting down to the match by revisiting our favorite past Clasicos. Uh, We put a poll out this week to our listeners to vote on which one to talk about this week. And we got some good responses. Um, A number of people suggested La Manita, the 5-0 La Liga win from 2010. That is a match that we talked about in episode 54 entitled Messi Signs the Dotted Line. So if you missed that... Go back and check out that episode. We revisit that match. Last week, we discussed the Champions League semifinal first leg from 2011 with what could be the best goal Leo Messi has ever scored. Certainly Gabriel's personal favorite, and I think I'm on board with that as well. So that was episode 55, Au revoir un titi. This week, we're looking at a Clasico from Pep Guardiola's first year managing. This was in La Liga, May of 2009, near the end of the 2008 2009 season yeah so let me ask you this first what do you remember like what is the first thing that you think of when I tell you the 6-2 match what is like the first thing you think of Bernabeu uh winning in the Bernabeu that's the first thing I think about okay so the winning in the Bernabeu so what I think about is this is almost like the birth of the modern football false nine type of era right so you know like we talked about this was Pep's first year his first five games were up and down. Like he was about to get fired, you know, in the beginning of the season because he just couldn't get on a winning streak and people were complaining about the style and he wasn't maximizing the points. And then all of a sudden it just clicked, right? And then all of a sudden they were riding high. They won the first Classico and then going into this one, they started they started really rolling off some victories. So this for me is one of my favorite Classicos too because, you know, this is... As we talked about in the previous years, like we said, 2010, when Spain won the World Cup, you and I were both in on La Liga and FC Barcelona. And this is kind of the buildup of that. For me, this team, I just think of Thierry Henry. I love this guy so much because I was never a true, I was never an Arsenal fan, but I really loved Henry's style, how like he was elegant, you know? And when he signed with Barcelona, I was super excited because, you know, we were getting an excellent player. And in this match, this just showed how brilliant Pep Guardiola's tactics are. And not only that, but how he was able to use Messi as a versatile player, you know? And so, again, this this match is basically the birth of the modern false nine, you know? So this match is not only awesome because we won in the Bernabeu 6-2, but it's also super important, as we talked about in previous episodes, in the history of FC Barcelona. Yeah, I mean, it was a crazy year, uh, like you were mentioning. You know, like Pep was starting a revolution, like in in at at FC Barcelona, but also like that that rang out through Spanish football and European football, based on the work that he did starting in this year. And yeah, they did not have a good start to the year, but here they were at the close to the end. There were only four more uh, matches in La Liga after this one, and uh, they just dominated them. And especially watching Terry Henry just tear apart that left side Sergio Ramos was getting completely torn up which is also fun to watch especially on that you know my favorite moment I think is the first goal that Barca scores where Ramos does that flying attempt of a of a kick in the air and the ball just falls to Henri and Henri lets it roll and he slides it through Casillas that thing is just 
on two reasons. Obviously, Henri's finish is just pure, pure class. Like, to be able to do that at that stage and just, I don't know, that's just another level of elite striker, you know? And then just seeing Ramos look like a fool, like a flying fool, you know? I always love when Ramos is, you know, made to look or humiliated like that. So that's that's the great point. But again, you know, I was, when we were talking about, when we were waiting for the, the votes to come in about which classical we were going to do, I was really hoping we were going to do this one because, you know, there's so much information about how this team really, or this game actually modernized football as we know it. So one of the first things that Pep did was the super high press. Now, at that time, the high press was not something that was really instituted as much, just, you know, once in a while, but not as a system. So when you watch the highlights of this match, Real Madrid was not really that prepared tactically, or they didn't make adjustments for Barcelona's high pressing style and this high pressing style led to two of the goals in the Clasico and one of my favorite goals is the third one uh do you remember the third goal at all with Messi and Xavi stealing the ball from Diara did you do you remember this goal at all Brian yeah I just watched the whole game the other night um and I I mean it's just one of those moments where you're like man they are just dancing around them they're just so dominating them and yeah when they take that ball and the, the way it just gets put away is uh you know, it's like for a Barca fan, it, it just brings a smile to your face. Exactly. And it's, you know, it, it's like all these, you know, when you're talking about Barca and Madrid, they both, you know, usually their talent equals each other out, right? Like they're going to have the top players in the world. and they equal, But again, these tactic tactical decisions are what wins or loses the match, you know? And so these type of things that Pep installed, not only the high pressing, but he also, you know, before he was in a tight 4-3-3, where he had Messi as the right wing, okay? So that's really interesting because, you know, Messi's left-footed, and it's kind of counterintuitive to put him on the right wing, right? Because, you know, you think left, right, but I can tell you as a left-handed player, as a left-footed player, I prefer to play on the right wing better than the left wing because then I can maneuver better with my left, show with my left, and dance to the right. And for me, that's an easier move that I can go to all day. And so I know Messi before was doing that all the time. But in this match, as we talked about the false nine, Pep moved him in the middle as a playmaker. And that threw the defense. They didn't know what to do because they were trying to mark him. They brought up the defense up to the middle. Then they had the gaps behind him. And like in the first goal with Henri, that was provided because Messi came through the middle. Carnivaro from Real Madrid had to cover him. And they just went over the top. And Messi's pass on that is... I mean, it's pure class. Like, he just, he barely touches it and just loops it right over, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking the first goal, right? And it's like... It was perfect. Exactly. It was perfect, right? And so these two concepts, having Messi go through the middle and the high pressing, you know, Real Madrid at halftime were down 3-1, to one and they could have made some major adjustments, and they didn't. They assumed, you know, I think at the same time, too, Messi was still kind of seen as not, you know, as we as we know him now, as like the best player in the world, a great passer, a great playmaker. At that time, I think a lot of people thought that because of his size, he was almost like a flash in the pan. So they didn't adjust to him. They kept the same thing. And of course, what happened? They scored another three goals in the second half. And of course, for me, my favorite goal in this match is the messy goal where Xavi, your boy Xavi, does the little 360 pirouette. And then... The, oh, yeah. <laughs> and the defense doesn't know what to do. And, they, and then Xavi finds Messi on the right perfectly. And what does Messi do? Not fake shoot once, 
not twice, not three times. And on the fourth one, he fucking just fires it because he is like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know? And oh, it's just, yeah, it's pure. It's, I love it so much, you know? And like I sent you the, the radio commentating of that, of this match. And you have to listen to it again. Cause it's just amazing where they, and this messy goal, he just goes, messy, messy. Oh, goal, 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 goal. And he just goes off. Cause it's just like, <laughs> <laughs> cause the commentator felt, the commentator felt sorry for Casillas for like that one second, because you know, you see, you do you like the Simpsons, Brian? Oh yeah. I love the Simpsons. So do you remember the episode where Ralph, Ralph, you know, uh, Lisa's classmate, the little kid, the one that has the high voice, that's Chief Wickham's son. Do mm-hmm. you remember? So in this Valentine's episode, like Chief Wickham's son, like gives Lisa <laughs> the card, and he gives. Oh wait, the let, me it, let me do it. Let me do it. It says, "I choo choo choose you," and there's a picture of a train. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one. And then, right? Yeah, and then. He gets on button stage and he goes, Lisa Simpson's my girlfriend and I love her. And then Lisa Simpson flips out. She goes, I'm not your girlfriend. And then Bart pauses and he goes, this is where you can see his heart break at this moment right here. And yeah, (laughs) it's the same with Casillas. When Messi does that three fake shot, it's like you can see Casillas' spirit break right there and it's done. The game is like completely done and it's. It's fabulous. I mean, this, like we remember, we talked about uh, one of our listeners had said, I want to get caught up on the videos or some of the history of Barca. This is definitely another peg in that board that should go into FC Barcelona Laurel because this game not only changed modern football, but it's also just one of the, I mean, like you said, it just puts a smile on your face as a Kool Aid. Yeah, all day. It's just, it's absolutely a smile on your face all day. And also, especially because on that goal, it's like I don't have anything against Casillas, actually. You know, I don't like Real Madrid, but Casillas, I think he's a great goalkeeper. I always appreciated him, uh, everything he did for Spain. So, like, and so, like, I can feel for him in that moment. And I, I totally understand what that commentator was going through. He's seeing something am- amazing and he has to make the call. And then there's also just that one moment of like, oh. Poor Casillas. Goal, 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 goal. <laughs> exactly. One of the great FC Barcelona goals because not only is it like, you know, they're rolling in the Bernabeu, but it's just at that moment, it's like game, set, match. Because I think it was 4-2 to two or 5-2, to two, I forget, but, you know, Madrid had already scored two back. And so for me, that is my favorite goal of the match. Yeah, and as you know, um, I love any goal where Xavi makes the assist. And the way he made that assist, just the way he held on to the ball, and how, like you were saying that, like how they just figured that he was going to lose the ball, so they started coming in on Xavi. But how he can always hold on to it. And it made me think about later on, like when I started watching FC Barcelona, I think uh, the following year, or maybe it was the even the year after that, I didn't even realize just how how much space or not space, but like how later on, you know, you, you don't see even in, in a Classico, you don't see as many guys going after Chavi and thinking they're going to get the ball off of him. They they try and, you know, work tactically around him when he had the ball because they just knew that he could always hold on to it. And I feel like in this match, it's almost like they were um, they didn't know just how well Chavi could hold on to the ball. So. You know, they came in on him and they paid for it. You know, later on in subsequent years, you see Chavi, if he's on the ball, the opposite team is, you know, trying to sort of position themselves around him and maybe create a little bit of pressure, but they know they're not going to get the ball off of him more often than not. 
So like, but like a moment like that, you see them trying to, or expecting that they're going to get the ball away from him or he was going to lose it, but he didn't. And so like any goal where Chavi can set it up like that, I'm always happy. So it's absolutely my favorite goal of the match also. I think also the other thing too is that, you know, I think at that time too, Real Madrid just felt physically they were so much superior to Barcelona at that time. Because you had, if you look at that starting lineup for Madrid, they had a lot of guys who were super tall, you know, basically like Ramos, right? They had guys like Ramos, you know, twins, basically. They had Ramos, they had Gago, Iguain at its like quote-unquote prime. So they had these really tall, strong players. And I think they could just intimidate Iniesta, Xavi, you know, in the back. And the other thing too is, you know, watching this match, I always forget that we had Yaya Toure like in his young prime on our team. You know, it's crazy to think about that. Like, you know, now he's in Manchester City and so forth. But we had Yaya Toure like at his elite prime. I think he was like 24 or 25. And he was a beast, man. He was super strong, super good. And, you know, like watching that again, that was also Danny Alves's first year with the team. Uh, he was wearing number 20, by the way. So that just tells you like on the depth chart of what he thought, you know, he was number 20, right? And eventually became number two. But, you know, he was young, um, still kind of, you know, he had some good years in Sevilla, but, you know, he was still kind of unproven at Barcelona at that time. And it's just funny to see these flashbacks. And of course, Captain Puyol, right? He scores a goal in the Clasico, the, the iconic, you know, pulls the captain's armband and, you know, flips it to the crowd. It's just... You know, the match had everything, right? Like, even Madrid's goals are really powerful goals. You know, they're like these header goals that are really powerful with speed and so forth. But FC Barcelona's goals are just pure poetry, right? It's the passing. It's the elegant finish. It's the the, the tactics of it, you know? And again, you know, that's what made Madrid hire Mourinho was after this match, they, they were so basically in the left in the dust tactically that they had to make a huge adjustment so again i'm glad we were able to talk about these you know these moments of this classico because this again is such an important feat in barcelona history i just want to say i do i want to give an honorable mention to a goal that pk scored in that match uh i'm just remembering it now that we're talking about it because it was it was a situation where he was down near goal and it was a sort of a rebound kind of situation and uh he started coming back a little bit away maybe a yard or not even a yard away from the end line and you know of course he's a defender uh he's you know he's a center back so and he's on the ball so everyone was kind of shifting for him to cut it back but then he just turned completely 180 and and snuck it into the near corner the like the near post uh behind Casillas because Casillas was coming out a little bit again assuming that he's going to try and you know, put it in or cut it back, but instead he just scores. And I love that goal. Yeah, that's a good goal. You know, and the other thing too, you know, like in, uh, in American football, when they love seeing fat guys score touchdowns. <laughs> yeah. I would say this is the equivalent when a center back scores the goal in the, in the middle of run of play, it's kind of like one of those moments, right? So PK gets the ball from the midfield and he continues his run all the way to the end of the goal. And, you know, he was on the end of the cross from Eto basically. And, he, you know, he missed the the chance, but then got the rebound, you said. And, of course, it's like it's just like in American football. When a fat guy, you know, scores a touchdown, it's kind of the same feeling you get when a center back. It's like it's not supposed to happen. And when it happens, it's like clearly, you know, the game is completely out of hand. And, of course, Madrid was completely outclassed and outmatched in that game that even PK, the center back, scored a goal. So both center backs scored the goals. 
Puyol and PK, which is probably, I don't think it's ever happened after that or before that. So that's what's, you know, that's just even better for me. 6-2, 2009, Pep Guardiola's modern false nine game, set, match. Yeah, and also I think it's worth uh, noting that Samuel Eto'o, who was the top scorer for for FC Barcelona that year, didn't score a single goal in this particular match. It was a 6-2 game. We we scored six goals, and none of them were from Eto'o. We had what? Terry Henry had two. We had one from each of the center backs. Messi had one or two, or I, I forget how the goals broke down. But what was interesting is that if there was one thing that Real Madrid did manage to do, it was to keep Eto from scoring, and he was their top goal scorer. It's kind of like a one of those curious statistics about that match. Yeah, so that's true. They kept Eto at bay. So the the order of the goals was there was Henri's first goal. Then there was Messi's goal where he, um, oh no, sorry, Puyol's goal was the header goal. That was the second goal. The third goal was Messi's goal where Xavi stole the ball and and, and gave it to Messi. Messi went on one on one. Then the next goal was Henri's goal from a pass from Xavi. Then the fifth goal was our favorite goal, the Xavi pirouette. And then the sixth goal was PK's uh, rebound goal. So those that's the order. So yeah. So again, just an overall masterclass game by Xavi directing the your boy Xavi directing the game. He had the really nice assist on the Henri's second goal. If you watch the video, it's a really nice little long ball through the middle. And again, it all be, it's all because Messi was playing in the middle as a versatile playmaker that he drew Carnivaro and Metzelder up in the middle that there was all these holes in the back that gave uh, Henri all that space to run on. And again, Henri kind of had a renaissance with Barcelona in this 4-3-3 system because you know, at the end of his Arsenal career, he was kind of viewed as washed up, not as fast, not as good. And again, he came to Barcelona um, kind of as a, you know, one of those, I don't know what you want to say, like almost like a senior tour, like victory lap. You know, we're going to take on Rion, but, you know, it, he's a great player. We'll see what we can do. And he basically had a second renaissance with those two years and obviously winning Champions League with FC Barcelona. So, Again, I was really happy to watch this, review it, talk about it. As always, you know, I love the Classico and especially when we thrash Madrid, for sure. You know, as I was watching the replay, I'm reminded of just how intimidating the Bernabeu can be when it's completely full of Madrid supporters and they're flying the banners and just the way the stadium is designed, the the stands, you know, the way that they're stacked. It's uh, it's kind of like the Mestalla also. It's a very, it can be a very enclosed, like intimidating space. Like the Camp Nou is beautiful, beautiful stadium, but, uh, you know, the seats, they kind of bowl out a little bit more. So like the upper stands are a little bit further away. It's a little bit more open if you're down on the pitch, but the Bernabeu, it can really feel like it's bearing down on you. And they still just, it was like, that didn't even matter. Yeah. Especially like when you watch the first goal, when Iguain hits that header, like you talked about, the fans feel like they're on top of the field and you can just see the reaction, you know, the emotion and the, the screaming, like it's, it's quite an intimidating, you know, field that, like you said, it's a different concept than the, the, the Camp Nou, where it's more of a bowl, like almost like the Rose Bowl in Los Angeles, where it just fans out. It doesn't have that same ambiance. But again, you know, they were able to deal with it again because Pep's tactics were complete genius to, you know, it's like it's so funny, like just the slightest thing of taking Messi and letting Messi run through the middle as, you know, however he wanted to, just completely confused Madrid. You know, it's just like, 
you know, you wouldn't think that would be so, I don't know, such a huge, crazy modern football tactic that changed football, you know, but it did. Having that false nine, having that person run through the middle, and of course, Messi being Messi, being the playmaker, he created all those great passes and passing lanes that, you know, that allowed Barcelona's dominance in this game. So next week, what do we have? Uh, what do we have planned? Because I imagine we're going to run another poll or continue the same poll and uh, maybe take. But what what are what are our options next week? You think to talk about? I mean, we have the two, right? So we have Messi's first hat trick, which I think would be a good match to talk about because. You know, that's kind of when Messi came onto the scene. Or we can also have Ronaldinho's um, famous standing ovation in the Bernabeu where uh, Barcelona, I think, won 3 nothing in that match. And, of course, Ronaldinho left Ramos in the dust on that third goal, which is just absolutely magic. I mean, and they have the, the greatest, you know, crowd shot where the one Spanish guy clapping for Barcelona because he was just such an awe of Ronaldinho. That's that's a great clip. So I would we're gonna have another vote and we're gonna have it between those two. I personally would prefer to do the messy one because I think it's kind of like his breakout party, but either one, I both like each one. They're both really important as well in the kind of the, the lead up to what Barcelona has been now. Um, especially like the Ronaldinho one. You know, we can talk there's so much to talk about with that. So either one is good for me. What which one would you prefer, Brian? I'm going to abstain from from making a, a preference. Uh, I want to leave it to our listeners, um, and of course, you know, you and I will talk over the week and we'll make a decision um, ultimately. Because if there's a tie or anything, we'll just break the tie. But I'm going to abstain uh, for now, and I want to just encourage uh, as many listeners as possible to uh, check out the Facebook page or the Twitter feed or the website. Uh, we'll most likely have some option for you to, you know, let your voice be known as to which Classico we should revisit next week in our lead up to the coming Classico on December 23rd. And again, I do have, um, I have a special thing planned. I've talked about it with Gabriel. I'm still a little bit secretive about it. Not all the details are uh, worked out, but we do have a special thing that's going to be happening on Classico Match Day. And so um, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, But I will give you more details next week, and we will revisit one more Classico next week before the actual Classico happens. Brian has dirty secrets. (laughs) (laughs) No, they're totally... Totally clean. There's nothing wrong here. Everything's fine. Just look away. And by the way, so I was just thinking about this. So you're going to be in San Francisco for the Classico, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe I can send my Barca father from a different mother to go see you. <laughs> maybe you could. I mean, the thing about it is the Classico this year is going to be, uh, I'm going to be on the West Coast, and yeah, yeah. it's going to be at four in the morning. That's in, what time my dad usually wakes up anyway. So Oh, fun. yeah, so he's he's up and about <laughs> at 4 a.m., no problem. <laughs> With Folgers in his cup? Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, send him out. Send him out, man. All right, so we're looking forward to that. So make sure to cast a vote on which Classico you want us to revisit next week in the lead-up. Now, also, if you like this show and you want to help support it, uh, visit barsatalk.net and click on the support button in the show notes for this episode and uh, you can show your your support in that way and we we really do appreciate it thank you we've gotten a little bit this week uh, this past week and we really appreciate it so uh, if you want to do that go ahead and go to the website click on the support button and uh, and thank you in advance 
Now let's talk about Barca B. So um, on Friday, uh, the 8th of December, uh, they played Sporting Gijón, and they were in 19th place going into this match, uh, 17 points, not looking great. Uh, Gijón were in the Primera the last two years, so going into this match, you know that, like, here's the kids, the the B team going up against some, you know, more experienced guys, older guys, real professional footballers who have been in it for a while. They've been in the Primera, and Barca B hadn't won in eight straight games. They'd had a lot of draws, but they hadn't had a win in eight straight games. But finally, Barca B had a win. They beat Sporting Gijón 2-1, to one, and the goal scorers were Alenia and Aranais, both in the run of play. The Alenia goal came from a cross where the defender had a, a bad clearance and, and fell to Alenia. Alenia chested it down and roofed it into the goal. Uh, so you saw this goal, Gabriel. What did you think about it? Yeah, you know, this, is, this was a good build-up of play. They had a cross... But again, like we talked about, the difference between not only the height, but the physicality was noted on the defender. He did have a bad clearance, but the way he was able to get up on the Barca B player, you can just see the difference between the physicality. But again, the ball fell to Alenia. Alenia just chested it down, and he just hit a nice kind of half volley, roofed it. Really nice goal to open up the scoring. Yeah, it was beautiful. And uh, the Arnais goal came uh, from a really good run down the right channel. He didn't have anyone to play in with a cross, so he just put it away at the far post, and it was a really good, really good finish. Yeah, he kind of looked like, you know, he had no help, right? He was just screaming down the right sideline looking for a little bit of help, and I think maybe after the second touch, he realized he had no help, and he was going to take it to the end line. And I don't know if he, like, you know, obviously when you're looking at the goal, he, he scored the goal. I don't know how purposefully, like, he tried to hit the far post. I think more he was just trying to hit the ball as hard as he could, hoping to hit the far post kind of a thing. But he was able to hit the far post, and the goalkeeper had no chance because that ball was screaming hot in the way he hit it. And, of course, Arnais and Alenia both scoring. This is exactly what we want to see. But also you can see how tight the race is, right? So all of a sudden now they they got this victory, right? And then now they're in what place, Brian? What place are they in now? They're in 15th place now and with 20 points, right? So the difference between, like at the moment, the difference between 15th and 10th place in the Segunda table is only three points. So it's a really tight league. Um, you know, we'll know more about how they uh, ended up in the table after all the games are played, but like we're recording this kind of like mid-fixture. But at the moment, yeah, they, they shot up from 19th to 15th with just one win and they could get up to, potentially they could get up to 10th depending upon how things go out with just, you know, with like three more points. Exactly. And that's the thing, right? So a win here, win there, and then they're safe from relegation. So it just really all depends on how they play. Again, really great victory. Um, you know, on the third goal by Sporting Gijón, it was kind of a, a slop goal where it was just a lot of traffic, a uh, header that kind of went through. But again, Barca B were able to hold on for the victory. I thought it was kind of interesting in the video. The stadium wasn't really that full, obviously just on the sides. But then in the second half, I don't know if you noticed, Brian, that there was a really big contingent of sporting Gijón fans that were behind the goal. It was kind of funny. If you watch the video again, you know, you'll see there's a, like a traveling pack and they were just maybe probably maybe like 200 people. But it was very noticeable because, you know, the, the rest of the stadium is empty except for this like pack right behind the goal in the upper tier, just supporting Sporting Gijón. But, you know, it was a great performance to get that victory. And like I said, like, 
you know, a win here, a win there, they'll be safe from relegation. And again, it just further helps and develops our Barca B. Yeah. And again, looking forward to Alenia and Arnais potentially moving up to the first team. That's Those are the two players who I'm really keeping my eye out for and like crossing my fingers. You never know how careers develop and that sort of thing. But those two guys, especially, I'm hoping to see them in the first team in the in the future. And the women, the women had a good week. Midweek, they had a 2 nothing win over Sevilla. And uh, the women had some near misses, including a shot from Lika Martins that came off the post uh, at first. So a little frustrating in the early stages. But then Martins was making a great run into the box and got taken down for a penalty. And Andresa Alves got the first goal, putting that penalty away. And then on a free kick into the box, Ruth Garcia put away the rebound off Alexia for the two goals. So um, also in this match, Academy player Candela Andujar makes her debut with the first team. So midweek, right off the bat, women did well against Sevilla. So the women just keep rolling, right? I mean, they're just rolling through this schedule. Again, you know, this is going, like we talked about in the previous podcast, it's always going to just come down between them and Atletico. So, you know, these midweek tier team games is really great because, you know, they just get more playing time. And, you know, Martin's, and Dugan are just just killing it right now, you know, and they continue to kill it. So, you know, and again, they had a game this weekend. And what was the result of that one, Brian? Well, yeah, I mean, like Martins and Duggan, like you were saying, like they are just the stars of the show. But uh, this uh, so the, the weekend match going in, this was a, the Barcelona Derby or I guess you could call it the Catalan Derby with Espanyol. Uh, they were three points behind Atletico going into this match, so that's important to remember. And they won 4 nothing over Espanyol, who were visiting. Uh, the first goal came from Mapi Leon. She got on the end of a ball from Antonova in the eighth minute. It was really solid. Actually, it was one of those kind of, you know, in the mayhem kind of moments. There was just all kinds of chaos in the box. But uh, Mappy was able to scrap her way into putting it away. It was it was pretty cool. Now, Lika Martins, she scored two in that match. The first one was just a killer shot from outside the box, and that put the scoreline at 2-0. Uh, the goalkeeper got her hands on it, but she couldn't keep it from going into the goal. And then Tony Duggan got the third goal. And this goal, it was the kind of goal any Barca fan would love, honestly. It was one-touch heaven. Think Messi, Iniesta ripping through the center of the box one touch at a time. That's what this goal was like with Vicky Losada, also number six, and Duggan combining for Tony to put it away. Losada seriously reminded me of Iniesta on this play, so I highly recommend go to the website, go to fcbarcelona.com, check out the highlights and watch that goal. Now Martins got the fourth goal, and that put an extra nail in Espanyol's coffin. It was a really great through ball from Alexia for a perfect run by Martins to stay onside. So like Luis Suarez could learn something from Martins, maybe. And uh, the goalkeeper had come way off her line, and Martins just danced around her for an easy put away. I mean, again, like the only thing, you know, like we talked about, I think, uh, in a couple episodes ago, the only thing that would just make me even more happier about the the performance of FCB Feminine is they just signed an American woman. I think that for me would be like the cherry on the topping because the women, I like, you know, I really love like the feeling of, you know, not only do the young kids um, learning the tiki-taka, the style, the cust, you know, like the, the philosophy of Barca, but also the women. And just to see them implement that through these goals you know, through the season, it's just really cool to see that. I mean, that's really unique because, you know, I don't, you know, I don't think Atletico are really doing that. I don't think the other teams are really doing that, but Barcelona really instills that philosophy. And that's really cool to see with the women 
carry that torch as well. Like you, like you described, hopefully Suarez could learn something from staying on side from this goal. Yeah, seriously. Now the outcome of this whole weekend is the best part. So not only was this match with Espanol a good performance and a proper thrashing in the Barcelona Derby, but Atletico lost one nothing to Rayo. So the women are now tied again with Atletico at the top of the table with 34 points. And the next team after them are Athletic in third, trailing by seven points. So all in all, really good result for the women this weekend. Definitely. And again, you know, it's almost kind of the same thing with Barca B in that, you know, we're hoping for Atletico to drop some points here and there, and hopefully the women can take advantage. And of course, this weekend, they were able to do that. So they just got to keep going forward, keep scoring those goals, having Martins and Dugan play the way that they're playing, and the women should be okay. You know, in the spring, I'm I'm sure they're going to be playing against Atletico again, just because that's how it's going to be. That's going to be a really, really important match in the springtime for sure. Yeah, that's going to be probably very pivotal. Uh, From what we've seen so far in the women's league, that match will probably be pretty decisive. So as long as they can keep up those performances, as long as like Martins and Duggan and, you know, some of the others stay healthy, I think we can pull it out. All right. So before we get to our match reviews, let's just recap La Liga. Real Madrid murdered Sevilla 5-0, but those early losses and draws uh, that they had earlier on in the season mean they are still trying to climb up the table. Um, Of course, Valencia and Atletico have something to say about that. Speaking of which, uh, Valencia pulled out a late 2-1 win over Celta when, a I think, a pretty soft penalty was awarded to Valencia, and Atletico won 1-0 over Betis. And, of course, our boys in blue and red won at Villarreal. So no matter what the result, they would have stayed on top of the table, but this kept them five points clear. So the standings are Barcelona, 39, Valencia, 34, Atletico right behind at 33, and Real in fourth place with 31. I mean, I really wish Sevilla would have had a better showing. You know, um, when we were recording yesterday, I think Madrid was already up 2 nothing within, like, six minutes or something like this. So... You know, I just wanted Sevilla to have a better showing, to have Real Madrid, you know, struggle a little bit, and they did not. So, and of course, Ronaldo had two goals. And I think for me, the moment of the match was before the match. Um, Ronaldo taking a picture with all his trophies by himself. And I saw on Twitter, I don't know if you saw it, Brian, but, uh, you know, it's like the difference between Ronaldo celebrating his Ballon d'Or by himself, you know, like kind of all me, and then next to him, Messi with the whole team. You know what I'm saying? And so for me, I love that image because, you know, that's really the difference. Like, what's the word I'm looking for? How humble Messi is, you know? Messi's, like, super humble. But, yeah, I just wish Sevilla would have came and had a better showing, but they got they got throuted. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess Ronaldo was all, all high on his golden balls, so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then also to say also the soft penalty, that was super soft. I mean... Again, these La Liga referees sometimes they just I don't know, man. It's like it's like it's almost like their first time refereeing. And I know it's really a difficult task, but at the same time, like, you know, you kinda have to give the benefit of the doubt. Like it's just ugh, I, I just hate soft penalties. I saw one earlier today when I was watching um the EPL. I was watching Everton Liverpool, like today when I was putting my flat back together after painting, and they gave this easy 
soft penalty there in that game too and that's like the worst man you just soft penalties are the worst yeah seriously but um overall uh the table looks very good for barcelona it's nice to be five points clear of valencia again my assumption is that real is going to step up they're going to keep winning they're going to pick up points and valencia although they're playing really really well this year they're looking better than they have in a long time i do imagine that they'll um you know they'll drop some points i mean kind of like they almost had a, a draw with Celta. You know, it was so close, if not for that penalty. So they, they could have dropped a couple of points there. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. And and right now, Valencia is keeping up with us. But again, it's, you know, it's a marathon, right? So we'll see how they are in February and March, kind of the dog days of La Liga. But the other thing, too, is with the Clasico coming up, you know, you know, the last time we played Real Madrid, they killed us, right? So it's going to be interesting to see how we perform in this match not only like in the in the table, but also psychologically just kind of turning the tide. So, you know, it's going to be important. Not, not only is it our biggest rival, but also just going forward after the break. You know, it's basically the last match before Christmas. So if we can get a really great result, that'll just propel us to the second half of the La Liga season. All right. Well, as we do every week, we want to review the matches of the first team. So the first up, we've got the uh, Champions League match against Sporting Lisbon from last Tuesday. Took place in the Camp Nou. The result was 2 nothing, And um, I have to make a quick correction, actually. Last week, I um, I sort of forgot the rules of the Champions League, and I had a misunderstanding. And I was drawing out this scenario where uh, Barcelona wouldn't, uh, wouldn't end at the top of the group. I was corrected by one of our listeners. And, um, yeah, so a little correction. No matter what, Barca were going to go through the Champions League into the round of 16 at the top of their group because even if Juventus were to win and Barcelona were to lose, the head-to-head between the two uh, was very much in Barcelona's favor. So in no world were they not going to end the uh, group stage at the top of their group. So a quick correction there. And so because of that, Valverde had the opportunity to essentially start a B squad, uh, which was, I think, a very good opportunity you know they did the work they got the wins so that allowed Valverde to uh, you know give some more players some time and experience exactly but you know along with the B team that meant Messi wasn't going to play and he did not play which you know obviously was great to save some tread on his tires but you know if you ever have problems sleeping you put the first half of this match and I guarantee you'll fall asleep in 10 minutes because this match was you know, pretty boring. I mean, I, I kind of paid attention to it a little bit, <laughs> a little bit on the radio and so forth. But I, I you know, I knew they were going to qualify kind of eh, whatever. I was just kind of over it. But I was just more curious to see the performance, of course, of my boy Paco, because I saw he started and I really wanted him to have another great match. And of course he did. Paco scored another goal. It came in the second half. It was a great little corner kick header that he flicked on. And again, uh, I you've noted here in your notes here again the minutes compared to Suarez and the goal output. Paco again just leading the charge. I want Paco to start. Paco for president. You know this is yeah. what I want. I you know I want Paco to play, and I want him to get a partnership with Suarez because I think for now, especially since we do not have Dembele, to have Paco play with Suarez with Messi in the background, I think is our most lethal option currently i totally agree and but also yeah um also have to agree on the snooze fest you know we were talking right after the match and my initial review of the match was well 
what can I say about that match? You know, it was scheduled. It had to be played. And so it was played. That match, uh, that match happened. <laughs> I mean, like overall on the hustle meter, I give it a five. <laughs> out of 10? Five out of 10. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I would I would totally agree. My mom would have been super upset at this match, you know. Um, you know, she would have she would have been screaming on the sidelines, "Come on, Suarez, hustle, hustle!" <laughs> <laughs> at least he was only offside once in this match. Yeah, but again, like this is the type of match he should have dominated, you know. And this is the thing: is like it's funny to see Suarez trying to play make because it's something that he's not. That's not what he's really known for, you know. And again. Suarez is an important player for us. You know, I've heard other things. I've read, you know, articles about him. He's an important player. We need his goal scoring output. But at the same time, like, he also needs, I think, some more rest. I think he's not 100% healthy. I think he's kind of lying to the doctors about how healthy he really is because, you know, just watching him on the eye test, you know, you know, as like we talked about that I am a body language expert, not only a kinesiology expert, but he just doesn't look as fluid as he usually does. You know, he looked, I mean, he still kind of looks a little bit lost in the formation. And again, like against Sporting Lisbon, he should have had two goals, right? Like going into this, to this match on paper, you're like, yeah, Suarez should dominate. He's Luis Suarez. And he looked, you know, like a lamb, like super tame, didn't really have that many opportunities, nothing too scary. And of course, it's just like, again, it just goes to, we need more, you know, depth, you know, we need more attacking depth. And I don't know if that's going to come in this January transfer window. But again, this match was an ultimate snooze fest. Yeah. And actually, here's some some funny uh, statistics that I uncovered. Uh, So uh, Paco has scored only one goal fewer than Suarez in less than half as many minutes. Right. So Suarez has played. 1600 almost 1700 minutes this year scored six goals Paco has played 550 so minutes and scored five and so like if you give him more minutes you know he's gonna get one and it's just like you say another game another goal for Paco like he's roughly getting about a goal a game also you know um own goal has scored as many goals as Luis Suarez in all competitions this year We've gotten six own goals, including one from Mathieu. So, you know, maybe he got a little confused or maybe he's still getting bonuses from Barca for scoring goals for Barca. But we did get an own goal from Mathieu in this match. Yeah. So thank you, Mathieu. I saw it was a funny thing I saw on Twitter. It said, uh, you know, it was like Mathieu scored. And it's like, I think Mateo forgot he was on, you know, Barcelona for a second. But it was a really bad clearance, too. I don't know if you saw the goal. Like, he should have done better with that. Like, it was just like one of those really lazy kind of tackles where he just, I think he could have got to the ball, but instead he tackled and the ball just went right in. So again, just a really boring match. I think for me, yeah, Messi got in the second half and made it a little bit more exciting. But again, why even use Messi in the second half? I know there's a lot of people that came from, you know, all around the world to see him for this Champions League match. Like we had one of our listeners on Twitter, um, Jess, I think it was, who messaged me and I was asking me questions about the uh, Camp Nou experience and about where to go to eat and so forth and so you have people coming from around the world for this match so I get that Messi coming in you know something for the fans but at the same time like it's unfortunate that you know we won the group you know I don't know it's fortunate and unfortunate you know but at the same time just ride the B team you know there's no there's no use to have Messi coming in there could you imagine Messi got hurt for some reason coming in like 10 minutes that would have been like the worst case scenario but again 
Val Green has pulled all the right strings with the tactics. Again, like we talked about earlier in the episode, I'm super excited for the round of 16 because now that we have a manager that is capable of making the tactical adjustments, I think we really have an advantage going forward in the Champions League. So we'll see how that goes. Again, like I said earlier, if you need, uh, if you have problems sleeping, just put the first 45 of this and you'll be out cold in about eight minutes for sure. Yeah, and I'm, I was watching it live and I think I actually did fall asleep while I was watching it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing was, you know, unfortunately, there was no, you know, tiki taka. There was no, and again, there was no, there was no pressure on the game. So that's the other thing, which is almost like an exhibition match. It was just like, get us through this 90 minutes as quickly as possible. Yeah. And as far as Messi coming on, you know, I was thinking like, well, okay, let's say, let's imagine that it was, uh, it's a week where they don't have a midweek match. Uh, you know, they would probably have trained. So like, yeah, for Messi to get out there, put in thirty minutes in lieu of a of a of a, a training session, then okay, fine, I can get it. And he was even he was only going at you know hustle level five, if that. You know, he was taking it easy. He was making sure not to get injured. Um, it doesn't mean that he wouldn't be because you never know what could happen in a football match. But but uh, I just figured like, well, all right, it's um, you know, let him have some time, let the people see him, you know. And here's the most telling thing, actually, because if you watch the highlights on the Barcelona website, it's it's a minute and a half, it's ninety seconds of highlights, and three of those seconds are just Messi coming on the field, <laughs> not even him doing anything, just the fact that he came on. Yeah, he's he's like taking off his warm ups, right? That's like part of the highlight. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. By the way, I think going forward, we should. So my mom's name is Blanca, and I think we should call it the Blanca Hustle Meter. You know, and I'm down. so yeah. So Messi's Blanca Hustle Meter in the second half was like a five out of ten. So you know, Blanca would be like hustle, 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 and a hustle. You know, like five times. <laughs> if we could, we need to get a recording of your mom just saying hustle once, and then I'll just bang it as many times as I need to. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll see what I can do. You know, my parents completely support my podcast career. So we'll see what we will see what we can do. All right. So let's get into man of the match. Why don't you go first? I, I think we should. I think we know who your man of the match was, but let's let's make it official. So my man of the match was drum roll, please. Paco, obviously, you know, like I said in the previous episode, I want Paco to play more. Uh, you know, he should play more like you like you noted earlier with the minutes played compared to Suarez and his goal output. Again, don't just throw away Paco's goal output like this is something as a striker. This is a very impressive stat that he's able to score as often, especially after the year he had last year. You know, when you have a striker scoring these amount of goals, write it. Write it, you know, you never know how long it's going to last, but use it to your advantage. And I think Val Green should be riding Paco more, especially in the La Liga matches. I just imagine, you know, if Paco scores a goal, that gives more space. The game opens up. Messi scores a goal. Then all of a sudden, like, you know, the game just gets more open. So I want Paco to play more. Paco's my man of the match. What do you think about that? I absolutely agree. I mean, for one thing, the goal he scored was I think a really beautiful, you know, flicked headed ball. It was just in the right spot. The technique on it was great. And he also almost had a second one from from a great run. It just um I I can't remember if he missed it or if it was saved, but he had another really really good chance. He almost had two goals. I I fully agree with your pick of Paco as man of the match. I went with in a different direction with my man of the match and um this is a guy who doesn't play much. 
He doesn't get a whole lot of time, um, but I think he actually did do a very good job. And uh, for anyone who's new to the show, uh, we want to make sure you understand that, um, well, for one thing, Messi didn't really feature a whole lot in this match. Um, But even when he does, even when he's a starter, um, our man of the match just can't be Messi. So our MOTM is actually M-O-T-M-O-T-M, man of the match other than Messi. So we just like to, you know, highlight and uh, talk about players who, uh, aside from Messi, because we always know we're going to be talking about him as it is. So my man of the match for this particular game was Jasper Sillison. Um, He had a really great reflex save at point-blank range uh, from a shot off of his countryman and our player to watch uh, in going into this match, Baz Dost, uh, who actually didn't start the match. And we were all really disappointed that Baz Dost didn't start the match because he was our player to watch. And then he wasn't even in the starting lineup, and we were so sad and disappointed. But then he did come on, and he had a really good attempt, but Sillison saved it. And it was so good that Baz Dost actually got up on Sillison's back and was congratulating him. And then Sillison had this beautiful, like, just like, it was like a 12-year-old, like, I did good, smile on his face after that save. So I want to give it up to Jasper for that. All right, so I think I know you okay now. So I think two things. I think you picked Sillison for Man of the Match just because you wanted to say Boss Dost. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, <laughs> Boss Dost didn't do anything worth talking about on his own, really. So... So yeah, so, I just want to I just want to say Buzz Dost over and over. Okay, and the other thing too is we noted last episode as the player to watch that he's 196 centimeters tall, right? So do you think he would have been very able to important. score that? Exactly, that's a very important stat. So do you think he would have been able to score that goal if he was maybe 198 centimeters? Hmm. Well, he did take the shot with his foot, so okay, so maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. But but his 78 kilogram weight might have you know if he had. If he just had a, maybe one less kilogram in his weight, who knows? Exactly. So again, you know, we're you know we're making fun of this game because this game was was seriously almost like a you know a Champions League uh, exhibition match. Uh, it was like we all win. You know what I'm saying? Like both teams win. Like both teams got to play their ma- their players. I'm surprised they didn't have like unlimited substitutions you know like a friendly (laughs) exactly that was like the only thing that was missing right because like i was i was curious to see like six substitutions just come in for barcelona but again they were able to get the victory they're on top of the table again that's really great because that's really the main goal you want going forward so again i'm super excited for the february matches because that's really the meat of the competition and that's when you know we're going to have some better competition better stories to talk about and hopefully some better moments of FC Barcelona Champions League run. Yeah, and in any sense, you know, we still didn't concede any goals, which is another good thing. Exactly, and that's really great. You know, that's a really great point, Brian, because again, we are much better defending this year than we have been maybe in the last three or four years. You know, uh, Ter Stegen's having a great year and and the defense is, you know, tactically, we're really focused on not allowing the goals. And again, that's always going to carry us into the most difficult matches because, you know, Messi just needs a moment here or there to of his brilliance to make a goal. And if our defense holds up and is secure and strong as it's been doing this whole year, we should win the most tough matches coming up. All right, so now let's get into the Villarreal match. Uh, so this was in Villarreal at the Estadio de la Ceramica. The result was 2 nothing, so that was very good. And I would like to take kind of like a, a thematic approach to reviewing this match. So uh, for starters, 
we're happy for the result, obviously. Two great goals. One of them, a real masterpiece, I think, of one-touch football. Easily the brightest spot in the game. But overall, I want to actually start talking about this um, in relation to style. And uh, one comment came from our listener, Monse, on Facebook during the game. And it starts with three sleepyhead emojis and says, Valverde ball. It's a pity when you must watch EPL to see Barca football. And then it ends with another sleepy head. And I think what he's referring to is, you know, Pep Guardiola's Manchester City look more like Barca in some ways to the current Barcelona. So what do you have to say about how Barcelona were looking in this match stylistically? Yeah, I mean, stylistically, again, it's the same thing, right? It's, it's, it's kind of, you know just getting the points, right? Like, that's all they're trying to do. So, especially, again, I think it would be different if we had Umtiti healthy. I think I think uh, Val Green would have more flexibility in the lineup to be more offensive. But I think, again, what's the most important thing, Brian? We didn't allow any goals today. And, again, that's super important going forward. So, again, yeah, stylistically, you know, obviously we're not going to be doing what Man City are doing because Pep is obviously the the master of that right now. But... You know, for me, again, it's an evolution. You know, it's just something we have to continue to adapt and we keep winning and we keep not giving up points. So that's huge. I mean, I, I like the way we're playing because it's kind of these slugfest type of games that are really going to be um, important going into the Champions League in the springtime. Yeah, and I think that Valverde is a little more conservative than what we are often used to. Uh, watching Barcelona, particularly in those those Guardiola years, but even under Rijkaard, and you know, of course, if you go back far enough under under Cruyff, but uh, like Enrique, he also had, well, I mean, he just sort of like let them do whatever they felt like doing a lot of times. <laughs> like I think Enrique's like whole job, he felt like was uh, making the lineup, and if he made the right lineup, then just things would happen. But Valverde is definitely more thoughtful about it, and he's more strategic. You know, we're getting towards the end of the first half of the season everyone is probably getting a little bit fatigued and he knows that you know he doesn't have the strong central defender of Umtiti he has Vermeulen who again actually did a pretty good job today I think even a very good job he handled himself well he did not get injured and really that's all we can ask from Tommy V so knowing that you know he'll put Paulinho in he'll try and make the game a little bit more conservative and then I don't know if it just happened to coincide with Paco coming in or if this was kind of the plan all along but you know just like sit back a little bit more uh don't be too expansive don't try to attack too much uh look for your chances and you know take them if you can but generally uh be a little bit more on the defensive try to control things but um it seemed like right after Paco came on, everything came alive, including Leo Messi. So maybe they were just waiting until there was about 30 minutes left. And if, as long as they had kept the scoreline, you know, even at zero, then they could. Th- That's when they also got more expansive. But that might have also had something to do with Villarreal going down to 10 men. But overall, yeah, it did look. I wouldn't say well, I felt like it was a little bit boring to watch, but I, I think I get it. You know, there's it's just a slightly more conservative approach that he's taking. Again, you know, it's 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 this is like art, right? It's like obviously Monsi likes seeing more up and down, just like when I was watching the Man City Manchester United game earlier today. And to me, like that's one of the biggest differences. You know, they have just more emphasis on attack, right? Um, but again, Val Green is keeping it close to the vest. He 
he's putting the right to, you know, the, all these players are playing. I mean, like today, like Dennis Suarez got the start, you know, and, and he's getting more minutes and everyone is, you know, pulling on the rope together. And that's really important right now. We didn't give a goal and we got the points. I mean, yeah, stylistically, it's not the most beautiful thing, but that's ultimately, like we always say, the most important thing. We keep our distance in the table and we just go forward, you know. I think eventually in the spring, he's going to be a little bit more daring, I think. But if not, if we keep getting results, that's ultimately what's the most important. Now, let's talk about the lineup. I have one note about you know what the lineup looked like. It seemed like with Denny's starting, which I was happy about because, you know, he doesn't get a whole lot of starts. And I think he should ideally get more time. So I was happy about that. Um, it looked to me like it could be a dual purpose lineup, kind of like with Denny sort of as the pivot man. He could have been more forward like a winger or he could have been dropped back more in midfield. But overall, it looked like he was more in midfield and the and the tactical formation was a 4-4-M1, which is what I call it when you just have Messi and Suarez as the attackers. Because you can't call it a 4-4-2 if Messi's involved. Exactly, because like remember we talked about in the Classico, Messi's just so versatile. He just roams, you know, just kind of like the shark in Jaws, right? He's just like roaming left to right, just looking for that that uh, you know that opening to score a goal or make a, an amazing pass. So again, yeah, 4-4, Messi won, right? But that's the other thing too is that like I would have preferred – Maybe, like we've always talked about, a 4-3-3, but with Denise in there and then maybe taking Paulinho out and then putting Paco in. Like, that's just how I feel like they're going to be the most effective. I was reading on Twitter as well that, you know, Val Green is trying to go with more midfielders to try to have more control. But the midfielders we have don't control the ball that well. So it's kind of, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it, it's it's a good attempt, but it didn't it didn't come through. And again, what makes a really good manager? He adapted, changed the lineup, made substitutions, and changed the game. I know it also coincided with the with uh, the red card, but also it's infusing the different players and and adjusting the tactics as well. Yeah. Now, how did you feel? I think I know how you felt, but how did you feel about Paco starting on the bench? I saw that and I knew that like, all right, Gabriel's probably not going to be too into that. I mean, I didn't like it because you know. Again, we know that Messi's the most effective behind the, the attacking line, right? And if you have Suarez and Paco up there, you just have two guys that the defense can't key off on Messi. You know, you have Paco and Suarez interchanging. Again, I understand what Val Green's trying to do. He's trying to be conservative. He's trying to conserve Val uh, Vermeil and Tommy V not to be exposed. And I think Tommy V is getting more confidence. And I think hopefully uh, when Val Green watches the tape on this game that he can start to say, okay, you know, Tommy V is getting more minutes. He's getting more comfortable working with PK. I can start adapting my my lineup to not, you know, be so conservative, hopefully. Yeah, now there's one thing I want to add. You know, we uh, we work off a, a shared Google Doc for our show notes. That's how we prepare for this. Uh, so this is not on the doc. Mm-hmm. But, but I just want to say, you know, when I think back to all the man of the match calls that we've made over the last several weeks, I don't remember Rakitic being on there maybe more than once. And like today I was really thinking about how I I don't feel like Rakitic is having that great a year. He's he's a very good player, but I don't think he's having an especially good year. And I was wondering about a possible lineup. You know, we talk a lot about Sergio Roberto maybe getting more into the midfield, not having to play fullback. And, you know, who would he replace? And I think I was really hoping that one of the substitutes might be putting Semedo in getting him at fullback, taking Rakitic out, and letting Sergio Roberto slot into the midfield. I think that Semedo is still a little bit young, and he has a tendency to you know, still make some mistakes. 
So against um, a really tough opponent, like, and Villarreal was really tough. They had most of the good chances in this game. They were fierce. Uh, I can see why Valverde might not want to play Semedo. But in a match where he's going to put Semedo in at fullback, I think it would be a good experiment to put Sergi in the midfield and give Rakitic a day off. Yeah, I would agree. You know, and again, you saw the potential that Roberto has, like your boy, Sergi Roberto. Like every time he takes the ball from the back and he does that cut into the middle with his right foot, you know, it's just a thing of beauty because, you know, the the, the midfield is not ready for that, you know, and then all of a sudden they see Sergio Roberto coming and he's just, I think there was a play in the second half where he just took on four guys by himself all the way up to the, the midline, you know, and it was just like, and then as soon as that happens, that opens up the attack, right? I would just like to see that as a midfield because then he doesn't have to track back all, all the way back on defense. But I agree. I mean, I would like to see something like Semedo, Sergio Roberto, and then Paco and Suarez at top with Messi, something some sort of that combination because i think yeah Semedo's young but his speed can make up for so much of his mistakes that he can cover that up and plus his physicality he's not only uh fast but he's also strong so again i i'm pushing with you sergio roberto and more in the midfield yeah. i think that would be and not only that but he can possess the ball and i think that's really important you know with the busquets i mean imagine this busquets iniesta and sergio roberto that's that's pretty pretty good <laughs> you just rolled your... <laughs> oh yes <laughs> I, just, I just saw brian's o face oh gosh <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so not many people yeah, yeah, have seen so, that. <laughs> so that would be you know i think that would be a pretty formidable um midfield you know not only with um creativity but also possession and then and just imagine Messi linking up with that I mean that would just that's I think for me that would be the top 11 you know Jordi, Semedo, Pique, MTT I would put Roberto, Busquets, Iniesta, Paco, Suarez and obviously when Dembele comes I would probably switch out Dembele with Paco but it's it's that that, that would be my dream 11 right there yeah, that's a good one. Now, so in this match, actually, um, there was an early chance for PK on a corner kick, and it came off the crossbar. Um, and now I want to point out how Messi won the corner. It was just so beautiful how he danced around a defender, and it got a shot off, but it was deflected for the corner. So that's how the corner happened in the first place. But, uh, yeah, PK got his head on it. It was a really good attempt, but it just it just came off the crossbar. And after that, it was just like a valley of... Like near miss, nothing nearly as close as that, and just a lot of um, a lot of action actually. Like the first half for me really flew by, which is usually a good sign. Like it's usually a sign that you're watching a good football match. But yeah, after that early chance from PK, it was um, not a lot of joy. The only joy I really had was watching uh, Ter Stegen make his kick-ass saves. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? Like because our midfield can't hold the ball, which is a lot of back and forth, which made the first half fly by because there wasn't really a stoppage in time. You know what I'm saying? Like it was just going back and forth, back and forth. And it was just flying by. Yeah. Your boy Ter Stegen, he, uh, he had a great game today. Another, you know, he made huge saves. Um, you know, he just continues to, again, another shutout, another important shutout. If he lets that goal in the beginning in the first half, it's a totally different game, but he's been on this whole year. I don't know, you know, Maybe it's something Val Green is doing differently. I know it's, you know, obviously tactics could be something, but maybe it's just something, I don't know. He just, Ter Stegen has, I didn't remember him being such a great, you know, save goalkeeper before. Like, remember, he was always known for his passing and obviously his physical attributes, but, like, he was never, like, that was never one of his top-tier things was, like, his reaction and his saves. But this year, it's, it's something on another level. 
Yeah, that one-handed, like, slap save, that was incredible. Like, most other goalkeepers, even a lot of top goalkeepers, that's going in. Yeah, and, you know, that's the thing, right? Like, he, he's in really great positions, and that's part of it as being a goal, goalkeeper. You know, you have to be in the right position, and he was there, and he was ex- anticipating that, that shot, and he was able to do that. So uh, how many saves did he have today that were kick-ass for you, Ryan? By my count, he had three kick-ass saves. I believe he had a total of five five or six saves but for me three of them were genuinely kick-ass yeah I mean I would agree too you know and the thing was the first half I had to listen to the radio so I I couldn't really see the first half I had to listen to it because uh, (laughs) it was a nightmare I was trying to find the game online and it was just it was just a mess I was like obviously again the FCB app saved my ass again today but um, but they were obviously screaming and talking about the saves as well. And then when I saw the highlights at halftime, I was like, oh, my God. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of, like, one of those uh, kick save hockey saves, you know, where he kind of just flew up his pad and it just kind of came off him. It was, like, just a general reaction. I'm just going to lift my left arm and the ball just deflected off. Yeah, they've been talking more during the uh, in the in-game commentary on BN, especially about uh, Ter Stegen's goalkeeping style and how he looks more like... A, uh, a hockey goalkeeper and apparently that's kind of like a German thing that's something in like German goalkeeping thought right now because I guess Neuer does uh, a similar thing interesting I mean uh, that's the thing right like you know in hockey you just kind of have to anticipate where you think the puck is going to go and so I think Ter Stegen is doing that more this season maybe but like that first save that he made it, it t- like you put a hockey outfit on him it just looks like a hockey save so I'm really happy, you know, I'm really happy with his his performance this year. I mean, he's really stepped up another level. And again, our defense and him another shutout. I mean, what can you say? That's just that's that for me that's again, that's the most important because I know we're always going to have scoring opportunities with Messi on the field and we can always score a goal, but if we don't concede that goal, we're going to get points all the time. Yeah, and of course, and we've talked about this repeatedly about how that is the main difference between this Barcelona and last year's Barcelona. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? We talked about earlier about Luis Enrique, remember? And like Luis Enrique would always do the four three three, and he would always really uh, roll out the same lineup. And I think you know with Val Green using the different players, I think he has everyone included in the tactical plan and everything, so everyone's on the same page. And I think that's really important going forward to help create more depth and more confidence for the team going forward. Yeah, now let's talk about Luis Suarez. So first off, the the Luis Suarez offside counter, which I am now maintaining every game, um, I counted three offside calls against him, but two of them I thought were pretty questionable. And in fact, the offside calls in this game were a little iffy most of the time for me. So we could talk a little a little bit more about La Liga referees if we want. Yeah, I mean that, that's the thing is that like this stadium, you're really close to the players, you know. So there shouldn't be this kind of, um, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it shouldn't be so like questionable with the offsides because you're that much closer, you know. In the Camp Nou, I can see that happening more because of the the width of the field, but at the Ceramica, you're much closer. But again, I got a, I got a comment from a, a Twitter follower, Charlie Barca, and he was telling me about did you read this i don't know if you saw this about no i was just uh, uh nodding because i like charlie yeah, yeah. and so he you know i wrote to i wrote on twitter i said what's the over under suarez offsides tonight 4.5 i said right and most people were like over over right so so charlie wrote to me and he said you have to understand <laughs> suarez plays on the shoulder of the defense 
and offside to pull the defense back to give room in the midfield. It's a tactic, not a mistake. And I kind of agree with that, right? Like, yeah, I understand what he's trying to say, but at the same time, he's a professional football player. If it's something that I was watching the Sky Sports feed, they mentioned it three times about how he's been super offsides this year. So it's something that is a problem, and he needs to limit that. Again, he didn't have as many today. But, you know, he did. He limited the offsides. He scored a goal, so a, I would say a pretty pretty good game for Luis Suarez today. Yeah, and as far as the offside goes, even if the the two that I considered questionable were, as my father, the soccer referee would put it, righteous. Even if those were righteous. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's actually not bad. Like for 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 a player doing the kind of thing that Charlie Bars is talking about, you know, trying to stretch the defense, being on the shoulder, you're going to here and there be offside. So like being called offside three times, I think I can accept that as long as there's also, you know, a lot of other times where you're actually getting forward and, uh, you know, just trying to manage that. Uh, so I don't think it was actually too bad. And uh, again, I think two of them, he could have just as easily been called on by another refereeing team on the other hand we have one really good chance from suarez uh, 68th minute the shot came off the post it was a really good cross from alba really good attempt from luis it was just a hair off and that was before he scored the goal but you noted that uh, he's uh, hit the woodwork 21 times this actually season. it's not luis suarez it's actually the team uh, when i was listening to the to the radio the radio said you know, that FC Barcelona have hit the woodwork 21 times this season. So that's an incredible stat because that's super high. So it's not just Suarez, it's it's the whole team because it was referring also to the PK header that you mentioned earlier. But again, I think also if he's with Paco, that he's not going to be as offsides anymore because he's going to be twisting and turning and looking at the line, you know. When he's all by himself, it's a different type of thing. Like Charlie Barca uh, pointed out that he's working off the shoulder of the defense, you know. So again... Suarez, yeah, he hit the post, but again, he came good on that first goal, which was a thing of beauty. Like I wrote here in my notes here, tic-tac-toe, right? Yeah, well, yeah, let's get into that goal. I mean, it was really the the absolute brightest spot of the game for me. It was, I think, an otherwise boring match for the most part, um, but that was a moment of pure magic. And it was it was as if Suarez suddenly saw something. It was like everything clicked into place in his head. You know, it was like he suddenly came alive. There was like something in his in his movement that was surprising and we haven't seen in a while. The way he he just stepped back a step to get the ball from Messi and then to Paco and then Paco's touch back to him was perfect. Absolutely perfect. And then Suarez yeah. put it away with a great finish. Yeah, exactly. But the, for me, the first part was the Messi pass, like the way he does that kind of uh, slow pass, and then he accelerated, right, to take the defense off of him. And then Suarez gave it to Paco. Paco gave the really nice one-two pass. And, of course, Suarez's first touch did not fail him this time. So that was great, right? So his, his first touch was able to he was able to control it, go around the keeper, and just put it away. But it happened, like, in three seconds, right? Like, it was just, like, messy starts, then to Suarez, then to Paco, Paco. It was just, like, super fast. So, yeah, again... You, like you said, the game was, you know, I wouldn't say it was so boring. I was just saying it was just like there was not a much, um, there wasn't so many buildups, you know. It was just kind of like going back and forth. But there wasn't anyone trying to, I mean, I know they were trying to score, but there wasn't any clear action, you know. And when this happened, it kind of, and obviously with the ejection prior, that kind of boosted 
the game. I knew as soon as the ejection happened, I was like, okay, here we go. We're going to get some some action now. Yeah, no, you make a good point. You're right. Yeah, on that goal and that run that Messi made and how he started the play, it was like if you watch the replay again that he he looks like a bull you know he's like but but a very intelligent and controlled and skillful bull you know like uh i was i was just uh reading the sun also rises again for the first time in a while and he talks a lot about bullfights in that book you know it was it was like what he would what hemingway would call a really good bull you know um but if suarez doesn't drop back that that one step messi doesn't have the pass and like just the fact that Suarez again, like I, because I feel like Messi has been making those runs. He's been trying to create the possibility for that, and he hasn't had the outlet or he hasn't had the teammate to play off of. And suddenly, it's like Suarez saw it, like he got it, <laughs> and he took that step back, and then the rest of it just came out exactly. of exactly. And again, the other thing too is like if Paco wasn't there in the middle, like do you think Dennis Suarez or whoever else would have no like. Because Paco is playing up front like that again, that's the thing. Like I, you can, like in that play, right? You can clearly see they have a chemistry, that they have this intuition. So like, ride that, ride that. You know, I want Val Green to ride it. Ride it, Val exactly. Green. Ride it. That's gonna that's gonna go in the in the clip just, show. Just like yeah. just like in craps, right? You just keep rolling that die. Just keep getting hot. You know, until you roll the sevens. You know. Absolutely, absolutely. Um. <laughs> I don't. I don't play craps. I know. But uh, in any case, let's talk about the second. I, I'm a blackjack man. But let's talk about the second goal. This was the 83rd minute goal by Messi, and it was just one of those like bad passes from uh, Villarreal defenders. Busquets intercepted it, but like Busquets does, the first thing he does when he gets the ball is he looks forward and he sees how he can try to make a play. And there was Messi standing in all kinds of space. Busquets made the perfect pass, and it was really like for Messi pretty easy to put away. Yeah, and like here I have in the notes, I said three Stooges goals. So it's like, it's like uh, you know when Messi got the ball and he turned the two guys hit each other, which gave Messi not only more space, but he had a one on one with a goalkeeper and he just again it was almost kind of like the Casillas goal in the Clasico that we just talked about earlier, where he kind of just waited, 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 broke his spirit and then scored the goal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, that's what makes him a killer is he knows how to do that <laughs> exactly and, and and you know as soon as they were up to nothing i tweeted game set guillermo so that's usually my you know when that happens it's just kind of like that's over like you can just tell you know pack the bags let's head back to barcelona three points appreciate it now let's do man of the match i'll go first okay. um i chose as man of the match jordi alba now it was actually hard for me to pick a man of the match i think um I wanted to leave Paco available for you. I knew you would pick Paco because of how he was totally at the middle of that that first goal. But also, you know, I think Jordi actually had a really good game. He was really bombing down that left flank all game long, where a lot of players were, again, if we talk about the hustle meter, I feel like the hustle meter on this match was more like around a seven. You know, they certainly weren't going all out. But I think Jordi, his own personal hustle meter was much higher. And so I liked how how hard he was working. He was making just like tons of passes all down the left side, just everywhere in there. Got lots of crosses in. And um, you can't deny his connection with Messi. I mean, it didn't exactly work out today on the, like, the final put away, but his connection with Messi is, is going to, or it already has paid some dividends and it's going to continue to do that. And you saw that I was going to 
called Jordy Man of the Match, and you sent me this tweet from Total Barca. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, okay, so the text is, when I see this pass map for the left flank, only one thing comes to mind, and it's, I assume that it's the uh, pass map for Jordi Alba in this match, and it's just all these yellow dots all over the left side of the field from end to end, and then there's also a picture of a squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I just love, I love it because I mean, just that picture of the pass map just shows you how hard Jordi Alba works. I mean, on that left flank going up and down, up and down, up and down, you know, uh, he just has a motor and he is the squirrel. So I, I, I think he's a well-deserved man of the match because I, you know, he, um, you know, he didn't have any hand in any of the goals, but again, he, what he provides as another attacking um, left back is undeniable. And, you know, when he's in there, you definitely feel more confident on the defense. So I, I applaud. It's a good it's a good choice for a man of the match. All right, so I have two man of the matches. So like I said, like I was going to go to the bar to go watch the game, but as I don't know, we talked about early in the introduction of the of this episode, I've been painting my family room. And so today I was putting it back together and the time just slipped on me. And so I usually watch the games on this app called Cody that has like these apps that you watch games. But something happened over the weekend. It didn't run any of the matches so of course i had to watch the game and i finally figured out how to figure it out so my man of the match is the a stream player that i had to use to watch the second half so that worked amazingly and of course my real man of the match though is paco of course um Pac, i you know i just want him to get more playing time you know and that's the thing like you just saw what we talked about in the goal the combination you just can't deny it i mean it's it's the eye test you know when he comes into the game he definitely gives Suarez a bit of a boost because, you know, Suarez doesn't have to do it all by himself. And that's the other thing. And, and I like here I have here the great, great tic-tac-toe goal. And, of course, when you have two forwards, it's more difficult for the defense to mark up, and especially when Paco and Suarez are interchanging. Again, it's just – it's – it's science, you know? I mean, it's science. I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> what can we say? You know, it's easily provable. Well, also, and again, you know, we, we don't know how much uh, the red card might have influenced this because the two events sort of happened at the same time. But once Paco came on, the game totally changed dramatically. Dramatically. <laughs> well, I'm going to... It's like dramatically yeah, and yeah. drastically. It changed yeah, dramatically. Yeah. I'm keeping it in the show. <laughs> and so I, you know, like you said, the two events, but I'm going to go towards that. It was all Paco. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they still, Villarreal still played hard and actually were putting some pressure on, even with, with 10 men, they were still looking pretty threatening, not as threatening as they did earlier. But, but yeah, once Paco came on, everything changed. And suddenly it seemed like more space opened up for, for them. Exactly. To play. And Again, that was such a nasty tackle on Busquets. Studs up. Oh, my God. When I saw that, I was like, no, Sergio, no. Like, <laughs> especially if you, <laughs> if you watch him, like, fall over. <laughs> exactly. And the best was, like, on the radio. They were like, no, Sergio, no. <laughs> so, I, you know, you knew it was a pivotal tackle. And so, yeah, so I'm glad he's not um, hurt. And that's the other thing. He's still on the yellow card. So that's the other thing Bell Green's got to worry about for the next match is to play Busquets and to chance that um, that he could miss the Classico if he gets a yellow card. So interesting. It'll be interesting to see what Bell Green does against Depor. I think maybe he won't play Busquets because it is, it's Depor. We, they're not terribly threatening. They're, 
You know, I mean, yes, like we're going to talk about in the preview, you know, they have a couple of things to worry about with Depor. Depor at least has something to fight for. They're just trying to stay out of relegation, but that probably means that they aren't too threatening. Now let's look ahead to the week. We got a one scouting report we need to do for one match coming up in La Liga at the Camp Nou against Deportivo La Coruña on Sunday. So my thoughts going into this, uh, Depor actually do have plenty to fight for in this match uh, because they are sitting on the precipice of the relegation zone. And uh, they pulled out a draw with Athletic Bilbao a few weeks ago at home. So they have it in them to, you know, at least get a draw. But their only win of late was over Las Palmas in the Copa del Rey. And uh, as of this recording, they've conceded 27 goals and scored only 17. Yeah, I would be more scared of this match if they were playing in La Coruña. Because I think, again, just like Celta, they're a completely different team home than away. And I know that, you know, Celta tied 2-2 with us last match in the Camp Nou. But I, I feel definitely more confident about this match getting three points, especially since there's no midweek game. Especially since the, the schedule's slowing down a little bit, I think we'll be full of energy They'll be able to, you know, again, they're playing at home. It's a night match that has a lot of things going for it. I can definitely see Barca, you know, putting a little bit of a, a smackdown here because Deport's not playing the greatest right now. And, you know, for me, again, they're a different team at home because of the weather. And, you know, I know you've, you've mentioned here that they drew against Athletic Bilbao. But again, how good is Athletic Bilbao this year? I don't think they're really that strong, especially without Val Green as their manager. So... In my eyes, I think we should be able to get these three points and keep our distance in the top. Well, now I do think there are two questions. One, is there even a player to watch to really be worried about from Depor? And two, uh, regardless of that, could Depor capitalize on the lack of Umtiti in the central defense? So the first one, I don't really, there's really not a player that stands out for me for Depor. Um, you know, we were kind of looking at this. You know, again, I just think we should be able to get the three points is with all the factors going forward. And on your second question, the capitalization of, you know, deport, deport without MTT, I think that Val Green is going to have maybe a more focused, maybe, you know, we don't know if he's going to go to a 4-3-3, but I still think that our talent and our tactics are so much superior to Deport that we should be able to get the victory. And again, I think not having the midweek game is going to give us more energy, more bounce in our step for this type of match, especially a Sunday night match at the Camp Nou. Barca Talk is written by Gabriel Quiroga and myself, Brian Henderson. The show was edited by Brian Henderson. The music is also by Brian Henderson. Gabriel Quiroga is our promotion and social media manager, which means, that's right, folks, this is a two-man show. Be a part of it. Give us your comments, questions, topics you'd like us to discuss. Visit us at barsatalk.net to find your preferred method of contact. And if you want to support the show, click on the support button in the show notes for this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, review, and spread the word about Barca Talk. Until next week, I'm Brian Henderson. I'm Gabriel Quiroga. And this is Barca Talk. Thanks for listening. Visca Barca. Visca Barca. Podcast Network.